gotta tip your cap to the Texas Rangers because their pitching and poor D-back space running led to their Game 3 loss in the World Series. You are Locked On Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked On Dimebacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You're listening to who? Always charismatic host of this podcast, Miller Thomas. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer, so please go check out my website, MillerThomas24.myportfolio to see all my latest work. Thank you for making Locked on Dimebacks your first listen every day. I would not be able to do this podcast without you, my loyal listeners. So thank you for sharing and subscribing. Been doing this podcast since 2020. And now we get to see the D-backs in the World Series. So exciting. On today's podcast, we'll be previewing the bullpen game in segment number three. Reasons to still be optimistic in segment number two. But first, let's get a little sad for a second and talk about the D-backs game three loss because guys my homie blessed me and I was able to go to the game three for the Arizona Dimebacks I got to witness this loss in person a fantastic experience to go to a World Series game wish the D-backs won but I was still very happy to be at least in the stands to cheer on the team and watching this from afar I just got to say like I said in the opener, tip your cap to this Texas Rangers pitching staff because that was my big takeaway. I knew the Rangers were 8-0 and on the road this postseason, but when I looked at the stats, I thought it was because of the offense. We talked about it on yesterday's podcast. This Rangers offense was an extra base machine on the road. Home runs, doubles. They had like 52 runs in eight games. This Rangers offense was unbelievable on the road. But in this game against the Arizona Diamondbacks, it was not the Rangers offense that was the knife that took out the D-backs. It was the Rangers pitching staff in this one because on the day, the Rangers pitching staff went nine innings, one earned run, two walks, and nine Ks against the D-backs. And they just completely shut down this D-backs lineup from top to bottom. Um, Tommy Pham had a couple hits, but for the most part, no one in this D-backs team was really able to get going. And I was, I was kind of surprised to see it, to be honest, because I was so confident in this D-backs offense heading into game three. I thought maybe we'll see some momentum carry over from the last game because I really liked the pitching matchup in this one. Max Scherzer. He's old. He's a geriatric patient. I wasn't really worried about him on the mound in this Game 3 start. I thought the D-backs was going to get off to a hot start against Max Scherzer. And it looked like they were going to. They were able to get a couple hits off Scherzer early. I thought the D-backs offense was really starting to settle in against Scherzer. And I honestly felt like they were about to pop against Max Scherzer. But he left this game early due to injury, and then John Gray came in and just was absolutely fantastic. I mean, John Gray, I thought once he came in, because I was like, no, I want to see Scherzer continue to pitch. He had given up two hits. He walked two dudes. I thought Scherzer was on the precipice of cracking. I thought the D-backs were about to at least put a couple runs on the board. 
But then I saw John Gray came in, come in. I was like, okay, if Scherzer's going to leave the game early, the next pitcher that I would want to see come out of the Rangers bullpen would be John Gray because I tweeted out earlier in this game when I found out John Gray was going to start game four. I was like, perfect. John Gray has sucked at Chase Field in his career. 5.17 year right in his career at Chase Field. Now we get to see him. Come enter a big game three when I feel like the D-backs offense was about to pop. And unfortunately, that didn't happen. John Gray went on to be fantastic for the Texas Rangers, pitching three more shutout innings. And then the next three guys, even a Chapman, he wasn't shut down. He was the only guy that the D-backs were able to get to. I wish they kept Chapman out there longer. But everyone else was pretty dang dominant against his D-backs, you know, against his D-backs offense. And Really, when you look at this game, the biggest pivot point from this game was in that third inning before, um, or in the bottom of the second inning before Max Scherzer was taken out the game. The D-backs had an opportunity to put some runs on the board, get some things going on the bases. Christian Walker, we've been waiting for him to get going the last couple of series. He's been struggling Big time this postseason. He is someone that everyone loves. You can hear the stadium. Everyone was trying to get Christian Walker going. I don't think the crowd was louder than when Christian Walker was at the plate. There's a whole rally and movement to build the confidence for Christian Walker back up. I think he felt that energy in the first inning because, or excuse me, in the bottom of the second inning because he hit a monster ball, just missed the home run by a couple feet. Just was off the wall. Missed the home run by a couple feet. He's able to make it to second. And you're like, okay, D-backs got something going here. He led off the bottom of the second inning with that. Tommy Pham comes up after him. He smokes it to right field. Christian Walker, head down, keeps running. Maybe he was waved through. It looks like he was potentially waved before the third baseman uh, coach, you know, put the stop on. But it looks like... Maybe Christian Walker didn't see the stop. He just saw the wave because they teach you. I, you know, I played Little League growing up. They teach you if you're running to first base or whatever base. If you want to go fast, you keep that head down. So Christian Walker, Christian Walker, probably on the hit, probably peaked up, saw the quick wave, and then was like, head down, I'm running hard because Christian Walker for a first baseman is not slow. Maybe he's not Paul Goldschmidt level fast as a first baseman, but he's also not like David Ortiz out there. Like, I'm pretty sure Christian Walker, I would have to double check the stats, but I think he leads the team this postseason stolen bases. And like, he had like a decent amount on the regular season as well. Let me just look it up real quick just for the sake of my argument because Christian Walker had a decent amount of stolen bases uh, this season. 11 this year, double digit stolen bases. So once he potentially saw himself being waved home by a third base coach third base coach he was like all right head down I'm running hard and unfortunately Adolis Garcia is the one man in Major League Baseball not the one man I mean there's a couple people but he might be number one on the list maybe that's the best way to say it because first of all you just see the physique of a Garcia I mean it looks like he was sculpted out of a a museum or something I mean he is broad shoulders big biceps the dude is thick and muscular athletic and he might have the strongest arm in major league baseball he throws a laser beam to home plate and they cut down christian walker and that felt like a big momentum changing play in that game because outside of that 
The D-backs had a few more run scoring opportunities. They ended up getting seven this game, but it never felt like anything was really going to happen outside of maybe the seventh inning when they had the Manny Rivera to lead off and then the Domo run scoring after that. Outside of that inning, anytime the D-backs got going, anything on the bases, it was either double play or the Rangers made a great pitch to get out of it immediately. Like, this was just a great pitching performance, I think, by the Rangers staff overall. Like, the approach by the D-backs offense, I didn't mind it at all. I felt like they were swinging early in a lot of counts, maybe being overly aggressive. But then whenever I saw the D-backs offense being patient at the plate, felt like the Rangers were running up the strike zone pretty early and getting ahead early in counts. So I felt like this was just a masterclass by the Rangers pitching staff. There's really nothing I could complain about from the D-backs offense. I thought the offense... Obviously, they didn't put a lot of runs on the board, but I liked the way they approached every at-bat. I didn't think they were swinging at bad pitches outside of a couple times where Christian Walker, again, just swings at some random stuff where Lords Guriel does the half-check swing strikeout. I just hate that stuff. Um, outside of a couple of those things, I thought the offense didn't look bad despite not getting the results. I thought the process was good for the D-backs offense. You just didn't get the results you wanted, but at least... Quetzal Marte did extend that hitting streak, which we'd love to see. I thought it might be called an error, but no, they called it a hit. I do want to, I guess, mention, because I was in the stadium, so it's hard to tell when you're in the crowd, you know, balls and strikes, but it seems like from reading Twitter that the home plate umpire was just bad. Jeff Passan was even tweeting about how bad it was, and I did go look up that Gabriel Moreno uh, called strike two. That was, like seven inches off the plate like that is one of those calls in a world series game in the ninth inning that just can change the complexion of a series it's the kind of call that you pull up in your view for should we really go with the robo umpire you go look at this game three situation ninth inning um calls the ball half foot or more off the plate a strike that just can't happen in a big moment like that I'm not going to put this game on the umpire I think this was more on the D-backs lack of offense and just the master class by the Rangers pitching but let me do say I'm still confident in this D-backs team the rest of the series and I'll tell you why in segment number two and if you're still confident in this D-backs team potentially winning the World Series then the one place you need to go to is FanDuel Sportsbook because score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. My little same-game parlay didn't hit tonight, but best believe I'm going to run it again in Game 4. Give me the D-backs money line, and then tonight I did five over in strikeouts. I won't do that in Game 4, but I will probably take Marte, double and Corbin Carroll RBI in game four and we'll let it ride with that maybe I'll sprinkle I won't let you guys know but I'm gonna sprinkle a little something something on that one and we'll see what happens so visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season FanDuel official partner of the NFL
let's get back into the Lockdown Dimebacks podcast. And let's discuss why I'm still confident in the D-backs winning this series because there's still two critical factors that showed up tonight as to why I believe the D-backs still have a very good chance of potentially winning the World Series. And guess what? If the D-backs do win the World Series, you best believe I'm putting some PTO at my office and I'm taking the day off or at least a half day, something, because I have to be at that parade. Just want that to be known, just in case my bosses are listening. The first reason why the D-backs still have a good chance to win this series is because of health. We saw Adolis Garcia leave this game in the ninth inning on a swing where it looks like he might have hurt his oblique. If that is true, if if Garcia has to miss any amount of time, In this series, that is huge. That is a major game-changing concern. Garcia has been arguably the best player this postseason. He's on the very short list. Garcia has been an absolute stud for this Rangers team. Entering Game 3, Garcia is batting 323, 11.08 OPS with 8 home runs and 22 RBIs in just 15 games. This man has been on a tear. When you go look at his NLCS stats, I think he had like 14 RBIs in just the NLCS this postseason. Like, he, he was phenomenal against, or excuse me, not the NLCS, the ALCS against the Houston Astros. One ALCS MVP, 15 RBIs in 28 at-bats. Absolutely insane. This is the dude with Corey Seager, who I am afraid of the most. That 1A, 1B combination in that lineup fearful the fact that it's a lefty righty combination it's like there's no way you could just put in like a reliever to pitch back to back to them like if they're both righties you can't just throw throw in another righty out there out japan high leverage moment let me get both of those guys no the fact that one's a lefty and then one's a righty just makes it such more of a nightmare for your manager to make a decision of how do I pitch to these guys and put so much more pressure on the pitching staff? And then when a guy like Marcus Simeon, who is a stud too, but really hasn't shown it this postseason, when you could get him going as well, and it's Simeon, Seager, Garcia, righty, lefty, righty, like that is a nasty combination. Then Evan Carter is your number four. Like that just a perfect righty, lefty, righty, lefty mashup if you're the Rangers offense. But now with Garcia going down, that is going to be a big hit to this lineup. As now you're going to have Janikowski um, inserted into the lineup. Feels like everyone's going to move up one. Maybe Evan Carter's now your number three. Uh, I don't know how the rest of the lineup will shake up. I mean, the Rangers lineup is pretty deep overall. So they're still going to have very good options to throw up there at the plate. But Garcia is one of the most fearful dudes right now to watch on the planet. And whenever he's at the plate, I'm like, should we pitch to this guy? It's the same questions I had with Bryce Harper and the Kyle Schwarbers. Like him, like seeing Garcia and Seager in that lineup, you know, pretty close to each other is very reminiscent of what we just went through with the Phillies. Like seeing basically Simeon, Seager, and Garcia feels like going against the Schwarber, Turner, Harper of the middle of the Phillies lineup. And that was so hard to get through. And now seeing Garcia goes down just adds a little bit more hope for the D-backs in this series. He's just, he, he's so good. I think he's truly one of the most underrated players in Major League Baseball. Even if you don't talk about what he's done this postseason, I mean, 
Garcia has been an all-star two of the last three seasons. Garcia, this past season, over 800 OPS, over 800 OPS, near 40 home runs, over 100 RPIs. Last season, a 25-25 guy. The year before, 30-plus home runs, over uh, 15 stolen bases. Like, Garcia is a monster. And when you add in the fact that he can do that offensively, and he might be the toughest dude to run on, on the league like even a guy like Corbin Carroll has to think twice of going from first to third or going from second to home when you got a guy like Garcia out there in right field like he affects so many different areas of the ball game and the fact that he might potentially miss some games in this series due to injury obliques are not easy that is something you're going to feel every time you swing that is a pain management thing that's a tolerance thing and for Garcia, he's a tough guy, but even if you're the toughest man in the world, sometimes an injury can still take you out. So you never want to see anyone get hurt. You always want player competition at their very best, but that could be a major break for the D-backs. And then the other major break for the D-backs that we saw coming out of Game 3, Scherzer leaving the game was also very important for this D-backs team because now it's a question mark for the rest of the series. Will he get Scherzer back in a potential Game 7 if we get there? That's a major question mark. It's not like this Rangers rotation was super deep after the Jordan Montgomery's. Like you kind of already needed the Scherzers and the John Grays because they were coming back from injury. And then the fact that Scherzer left early, it meant John Gray had to come in and pitch. He was scheduled to be the game four starter for the Texas Rangers. So now the Rangers dipped into their bullpen a little bit earlier than they probably want to in game three. Now they're going to have to go with a potential bullpen game in game four, which we'll talk about in segment number three. D-backs, one, two, three in the rotation is locked in. I feel better about their plan with the bullpen right now. I feel like if this series goes on, it just works in the D-backs' favor from a health perspective and just how the pitching shakes up overall from the usage of the bullpen and the rotation. I just think it's cleaner to see the plan and the structure for the D-backs as we get to games four, five, six, and seven. And if the series actually goes back to Texas, I actually think that can help the D-backs considering this, D considering this Rangers team has been worse at home this season. So I do like this D-backs team still for the rest of the series. I'm still very confident in this D-backs team. I'm still very optimistic. The health is now a question mark for this Rangers team, both in their rotation and their lineup. And with the D-backs being the healthier squad right now, sometimes that makes all the difference in a championship stage. And we'll see how this D-backs offense can respond in a big bullpen game, which we're going to discuss in segment number three. Alright, alright, alright. Let's get back into the Locked on Dimebacks podcast and let's do a little preview of game, or I think I said game number three in the last segment to tease this segment. Um, this is game four, guys. This is not game number three. I went to game number three. The D-backs lost. I do not want to see game number three once again. Let's talk about game four because all of a sudden it seems like it's going to be a potential bullpen game on both sides. It's definitely a bullpen game for the D-backs. The Texas Rangers are throwing out a conventional starter, but we'll talk about why it could still be a bullpen game for the Rangers a little bit on later. But let's first start with the D-backs because the D-backs bullpen game so far, we saw it against the Philadelphia Phillies, and 
it was effective for the most part. Now, they still gave up five earned runs to the Phillies in that game four start in the NLCS, but I still think overall the bullpen game worked. I, I just think it's hard to expect nine different guys to be effective. Like one of those guys or two of those guys are probably going to give up some earned runs. It just matters. It, all that matters is how much of the damage can you limit? How many pitchers can you throw out there that will be effective and maybe a couple guys can extend some innings because we did see the D-backs, you know, dip into the bullpen a little bit tonight. But thankfully, they didn't have to use any of their go-to guys. You still save the Thompsons, the Seawalds, the Ginkles, and the Mantiplies. So that's who is definitely locked in to go in game number four. Mantiplies starting. And then in the sixth inning, you're definitely starting with Thompson, then Ginkle. Or excuse me, you're definitely going Thompson around the sixth inning. But then you want Ginkle eighth, Seawald ninth. Maybe Ginkle even comes in the seventh inning, starts off a little bit early. But the real question mark for the D-backs in game number four is how do you get through innings two through five with a lead? Because I feel pretty confident with how we with what we've seen from Joe Mantiply this postseason that he can take down the top of the lineup, at least in the first inning. I mean Mantiply has even done that in the regular season when the D-backs have done their little opener bullpen games. I do think he's effective as a first-inning guy. I, I do like Mantiply in that situation. So I have confidence in him, especially with Garcia now not on the mound and with Evan Carter potentially being the number three you know, dude in the lineup as a lefty. It could really set up well for Mantiply, so I do like that for him. But once you get to that second inning, how do you feel? How, how do you fill the space until the fifth, sixth inning potentially? Because there is one guy on this D backs roster who I believe is still on this D backs World Series roster who has yet to come out the pen this World Series, and that is Ryan Nelson. Now, you might be saying, why are you talking about Ryan Nelson? Well, only from the standpoint of if you want to get potential extended innings from someone. I guess Ryan Nelson would be that guy as a dude who's been a starter in the regular season. If you want someone to potentially pitch two innings, Ryan Nelson could be the answer there. I do want to say if you are going with Ryan Nelson, you better be praying on your hands and on your knees because Ryan Nelson will probably get shelled by this Rangers offense and he's probably not going to be Toy Lavelle's first decision out the pen for the second inning. But I just want to throw his name out there as a just-in-case you know, break glass in case of emergency. If you really want to go with someone that could potentially give you extended innings, I just think Ryan Nelson should probably be last in your power ranking of dudes you would want out the bullpen. So let's talk about some realistic options because Sal Frank only made seven pitches, so I wouldn't be too surprised if he still came out in a high leverage moment against a lefty. He does make a lot of appearances. His appearances usually aren't that extended, so even though it feels like we've seen him a lot this postseason, they're never that long of outings, so maybe Tori Lavello would still use him again in a Game 4. Same with the Miguel Castro. Miguel Castro has only made two appearances since October 21st, so he might be okay to go in back-to-back -back games. We'll see. Cal Nelson, he's only made two appearances since October 20th, and I love Kyle Nelson. I thought he looked pretty good tonight against the Texas Rangers. I wouldn't mind seeing a Kyle Nelson um, tomorrow against the Texas Rangers because I do think he's effective. And he gave up no hits and no walks against his Rangers offense. I wouldn't mind seeing him out there once again in game four. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if the D-backs and Tori Lavello goes with some kind of combination of Sal Frank, 
Miguel Castro, and Kyle Nelson to get you through those two through five innings. And then you give it to Thompson, Ginkle, and Seawall to hopefully take you home with a lead. I think... Excuse me, not that I think. I know the Rangers starting Andrew Heaney tomorrow. He's made 28 starts this regular season. And he was solid for the Texas Rangers as like their number four starter in the rotation, their back-end starter. I don't even know where he was in the rotation, but back-end starter. And this postseason, he's given up four earned runs over seven innings pitch. He has made two starts, then two appearances out the pen. And he's been better out the pen than he has been in the rotation. And we actually saw Andrew Heaney out the pen already once this series. That's why I think it could be a potential bullpen game for the Texas Rangers because Andrew Heaney already came out the pen in game two. So I don't imagine he's going to go out there and pitch like another five or six innings like that just doesn't feel realistic with how we've seen pitching set up in modern baseball so Andrew Heaney will probably go like three innings at the max four but I doubt that I expect like three and two-thirds potentially for Andrew Heaney he's a decent pitcher he's a fastball slider changeup type of pitcher slider is his put away pitch but Hitters do damage against that changeup, so that's going to be the pitch that the D-backs have to look out for. I'm looking at a guy like Christian Walker just to hopefully keep the momentum going with the lefty on the mound. He did a good job of getting a big double, but next time, let's get that home run, Christian Walker, and let's put a run on the board because no one loves a nice solo shot more than a Christian Walker. So let's do that against Andrew Heaney in Game 4, and let's tie up the series 2-2, and then let's go get a Game 5 victory and go back to Texas and close it out. Now that's it for this edition of the Lockdown Dimebacks podcast. Come back tomorrow for more Dimebacks news coverage insight. Thank you for making Lockdown Dimebacks your first listen every day. Don't forget to catch every D-backs pitch on their hometown broadcast when you download the XM app and search up Diamondbacks. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy. Doses.